customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, welcome to our last and powers. This is Scott Powers at the Athletic with Mark Lazarus for the Athletic. We have been uh, we've been apart for months. It's been uh, I don't know, the last last podcast we did was after Bedard was was drafted, right? I think yeah, we did one from the draft, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, but that's we're a lot. We we don't have you know we're not Canadian, so we don't have you know our mandated cottages to uh, retreat to. So I've been. Uh, you know, retreating to my den and just watching a lot of TV and hanging out with a puppy who won't stop biting me. Yeah, it's been fun. It's uh, yeah. I I, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get back to work. Like I, I think this season, and I'm, I'm sure Blackhawks fans sense this differently than us. But I, I think last season, knowing that it was just going to be what it was, and it really wasn't going to be interesting from a hockey standpoint, and um, certainly Bedard. But yeah, this, for this season is going to be interesting and so much, and and you sense it from the fans with certainly the interest and. Um, um, I thought we yeah, still did I don't decent think... work last year, regardless. But it's yeah, I'm I'm and plus I feel rested. I think I, I think I've learned how to better prepare myself for seasons or better rest during the off season. Well, it's funny. I think you know you get to like mid to late August, and then you start having these like panic moments of oh my god, hockey season's coming back. I haven't had enough of a summer yet. I'm not ready to go back to the grind. And then you get to like the first or second week of September, you're like. Yeah, yeah, I need to get into a rink right now. I need to write something. I need to talk to somebody. Yeah. That's where I'm at right now. I'm ready to get working again. It was nice to get on a trip, talk to some players, bang out a story. Um, and and yeah, you know, last year wasn't nearly as miserable as I expected it to be. And we talked about this a little bit throughout the year, how everybody came into it with eyes wide open and everybody knew exactly what it was. So even though the Blackhawks were 
abjectly terrible and one of the worst seasons in, in team history, it didn't feel that miserable because it wasn't like, you know, everybody understood what was going on. So it wasn't like guys were showing up to the locker room just pouting and miserable mm -hmm. and de demanding out and stuff like that. Everybody knew what was going on and the team kind of embraced it, had a little fun. You know, they were able to move on from losses. You were able to write some silly stories every now and then. And I think this year, you know, the Blackhawks are going to be bad again this year. Like we need to preface everything with like the Blackhawks by design, like they would like another top five pick. They're yeah. not trying to be good yet, but they are going to be interesting. They're going to be compelling, entertaining. You've got the Connor Bedard of it all. You've got potentially Kevin Korchinski. You got Lucas Reichel's first full year in the NHL. You got maybe Arvid Soderblom, you know, contending for the number one job. There are things to cling to if you're a Blackhawks fan, things to get excited about this year that just didn't exist last year. Last year, they were supposed to lose and nobody on the team mattered because they were all just passing through. Yeah. Now you're getting, this is the, you know, you've had the dead cat bounce and now you're on the way up. There are things to watch. There's, you know, every time Connor Bedard scores a goal, that's a glimpse of the future. Every time Lucas Reichel scores a goal, that's a glimpse of what you're you're waiting for here. And I think that this year, you know, the record's not going to matter that much again. I don't think people will be too upset by losses. I don't think they'll get too high on wins. But there's going to be so many little things to focus on and and enjoy that I think uh, for everyone, including us as writers, uh, you know, you know, Jeff Perlman has had this, you know, he's the author of winning uh, behind winning time on HBO and all that has been having leading this discussion on Twitter lately about, you know, how the media is becoming increasingly homery and cheerleadery and how that's not supposed to be the way. And you and I don't root for the Blackhawks in any way. Like we are not fans We're we didn't grow up Blackhawks fans. We are purely objective, but it's also objectively more fun to cover a team that matters a little bit, right? Where yeah. you want readers engaged and readers are more engaged when a team is good. So I think, I think we're all looking forward to a more entertaining season this year and, you know, uh, a little more significance to the hockey we're watching. I, I guess a jumping off point from that a little bit and something I, I, I took some notes about when I wanted to talk about today, but I, I, I was thinking about it. I was wait, 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 wait. You took notes and prepared for a podcast? Slightly. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. We're it's, turning over a new leaf this season. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things I find interesting about this season with Luke Richardson is that I feel like he coached the win last year and, and no one really cared he did that because um because they weren't good enough to win most games and and it was, it was creating a culture and all those things and um i i think this year it, it has to be coached to develop instead of the coach to win almost where like you need yeah. to play reichel so many minutes and and bedard and you don't want to give a hand anyone anything but you want those guys to make a ton of mistakes this year just so that they're better off in the future where um especially with them like you don't want reichel to back go back to rockford unless it's really needed like you want him to make those mistakes in nhl and probably velasic and um, you know, like Kaiser, it'll be interesting. Like, does he get another shot in, in Chicago off the bat, or does he go to Rockford and be the number one defenseman, or, or even like Soderblom? Like, you want him to work through his issues this year in in Chicago instead of sending him to Rockford, because I don't, I don't think those, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. A lot of those guys have kind of graduated from Rockford a, a bit. I think Vlasic and Reichel, especially, and I, I don't think we'll ever see Bedard and Reichel unless it's for some sort of injury rehab at some point in his career. I mean, Kanan Taves never spent a second. In, in Rockford and I assume Bedard's the same um but I I think it's it's playing those guys minutes where last year you know Jack Johnson got 20 minutes a game and they really didn't have a lot of young guys to uh, to dish out that ice time and 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 you know I, th I thought he did a pretty good job with Reichel and some of those guys later in the year when they came up but this year it has to like Bedard has to be on the the number one power play and and Korchinski you know like I I think that's the also balancing act is 
um, Seth Jones is going to be pushed out probably at some point from the number one power play unit. Like you need Kuczynski to be that guy. And, um, and, and Jones has been that guy and not at, you know, like he's hasn't had tremendous success on the power play. And, um, if Kuczynski is that guy, like, yeah, maybe you ease him into it, but you also, you want to give him those reps. So I I'm curious of, I think last year, um, it was hard for, you know, Richardson to really prove that, uh, developmentally just because there weren't a lot of young guys, but with so many this year that could be, you know, brought in and so many guys that are key players in the future that you want them. Um, yeah, you want that ice time. You want those opportunities just so that, um, they are going to make mistakes and it is, you know, it's, it's how you deal with it afterward, but you know, I mean, you don't want to just let everything fly, but I think it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious in that aspect of how Richardson is the coach this year with so many young players. Yeah. I mean, if you go back when you talk to Kane and Taves and Patrick Sharp and some of those guys about, the early days, like the late two thousands of that, of that core. And Dennis Savard was the perfect coach for them, right? Because he let them make mistakes. He just ran all three of those guys out there as the top line and said, go nuts. You're going to mess up a lot. I don't care. I don't want you to mess up, but you're going to mess up and we'll learn from it. But I want you to learn to be offensively creative in the NHL. That was Dennis Savard's MO. And, you know, Dennis Savard didn't get to see the fruit of his labors uh, from the coach from behind the bench. But he played a big role in making Kane and Taves the players they were and Sharp by just unleashing them when they were young. A lot of coaches don't do that in the NHL. And now the league is getting more and more speed, skill, and offense oriented. Those Blackhawks helped usher in this current era. So I think you see a little bit more of it now. But back then, it was really unusual to just let these guys run wild. And with Richardson, it's funny, you know, at our little subscriber hangout the other day and um, out in, uh, when I was in Arlington, I, I, I keep, people keep asking me the same thing. Is Luke Richardson the guy long-term or is he a placeholder? Is he Dennis Savard with a Joel Quenville type waiting in the wings? And we don't know that yet. Like he's shown that he can coach and he's shown that he can build a culture. So he can be that guy, but he's also got to get them to that point. Mm-hmm. He's got to be the development guy. So that's really, yeah, you bring that up. And I think that's a huge point is he's a longtime NHL veteran. He showed clear favoritism to veterans last year. Uh, He can't do that anymore. He's going to have to be a developmental coach. He's going to have to be a teaching coach. And I think he's got the mindset for that. I know he thinks like a teacher. His daughter's a teacher, a high school teacher. I mean, he's coached Uh, in the AHL too. So, like, I mean, he's been at that level. Like, he he gets. But just because you coach in the AHL doesn't mean you're good at developing players. No, no, for sure. But a lot of guys get stagnant down. Yeah, no, for sure. But I, but from what you've heard, I mean, what I've heard too, you know, just of, uh, of him that, like developmental is part of, like there's like it seems yeah. like there's different phases too where he's like, got to prove it right he's got yeah, the culture is important that. and then you know like you, you, the hard work ethic and we, and we saw that last year and then it's gonna be development and then at some point it's gonna be about winning and it's about by line matching and, and and doing all those different things of you know playing the best players when you need to and um and restricting minutes and yeah there's so many different phases of that where um but yeah i, I think the initial phase was important and now we'll see the second phase and um yeah it's interesting i mean the other thing is you know you mentioned Soderblom and I, and I think I, I was actually kind of surprised that he wasn't on our um, athletics Calder cup, a Calder uh, trophy list or uh, he seems to be the one guy that no one really talks about. Even when they talk about Blackhawks goalie prospects and there's all this talk about Camiso and, and, and sure he's the second round pick and he's played for BU and he's played for USA hockey. Um, but I think Soderblom's ceiling right now is so much higher than even Camiso's where I think Camiso's like he had a decent college career and um and certainly he had some illnesses and stuff that kind of affected him and um but I, I think he's so far still from the NHL where I think Soderblom um he had his inconsistencies and he certainly 
Um, but when the games really mattered in Rockford, and I thought last year it was really interesting, we're down the stretch where they're fighting to make the playoffs, and they play them on three consecutive nights. Like it was, um, it probably wasn't the best thing for him, but uh, and, and he played so well. And, and one, I think it talked about just where the conference in Stauber was not exactly there, but also that they they believed in Soderblom so much. And I think um, I think he's going to be given all the opportunity this year to to be the number one goalie, where Morazic is probably more of the the number two goalie, um, but. Um, I don't know something fell down, um, but um, yeah, I think I think his storyline will be interesting too because the Blackhawks sort of need to figure out whether he's the number one of the future. Um, otherwise, like yeah, you you wait for Kamason otherwise to develop, but eventually, like you need to figure out the goaltending thing too. But yeah, I think Soderblom's such a key to the season. Yeah, I, the, I, it, the Blackhawks are very high on Soderblom. Yeah, I'm not sure the rest of the league really has paid any attention to him at all to be honest i think that's why he's not on a list like that internally the blackhawks feel really good about him but he's if he does burst onto the scene this year people are gonna be like where the hell this guy come from they're not even gonna realize that he played games last year because nobody paid any attention to the blackhawks last year so even when he was playing and playing pretty well nobody cared i think part of him being a free agent too like he was an undrafted goalie and he comes over from europe but that's how that's how it works with goalies a lot because you know you draft a goalie and very rarely does that goalie ever come all the way through and become and play for your team. That doesn't yeah. happen a lot with goalies. Yeah. They tend to be just kind of plucked out of nowhere where they just start succeeding in Europe. Like, you know, an Auntie Ronto was a free agent. They've done that before. Scott Darling was a free agent. They just find these guys. And I think because, because goalies, they, they tend to be a little older by the time they kind of come and, and realize their potential that, uh, you know, being drafted in a first or a second round as a goalie is hardly a guarantee you're going to be a good NHL Oh, goalie. for sure, yeah. But I, I guess when it's one of those guys are on the cusp that they're, they're a little bit more known and they get a little bit more hype around them. Yeah. Where I think Soderblom's kind of flown on the radar. Let's talk um, about uh, Korchinski a little bit, because I think, yeah. you know, we know that Connor Bedard is going to be the number one center next year. We don't know what Kevin Korchinski is going to be, and he's a really interesting case because anyone who saw him at camp last year or in the preseason knows that he probably could have played in the NHL last year. Like he has NHL skating ability, but you know, they obviously they're the, the, the Kyle Davidson's been adamant and this is the right thing to do about picking, being patient. We've seen it's, it's worked out well with Lucas Reichel. By the time Reichel really broke in, he looked like an NHL player and that's what they want with Korchinski. But the question is now, like, you know, you could keep him for nine games and send him to world juniors and send him back to, you can, you can keep delaying him, but it's kind of like, unless he falls flat on his face at camp, I don't see how, he benefits at all from going back to juniors and just dominating, you know, just bum slaying out yeah. there. Yeah. I, I don't think for so him either. to get in the league. Yeah. Right. I, I, and I also think the Blackhawks are going to burn his contract regard. Like it, at this point, it's probably more to their advantage to burning the year. And, and even if he doesn't play a full season in NHL, like it, they need, they need to get to that second contract quicker because I think the longer they delay it, like the it more it may be more costly. Or and he, they need to stagger them more because they've got so many guys yeah. coming in. I, I think especially with with like a number one defenseman, like it, it's the more points he puts up under his first under his entry level deal, like the more it's going to cost him on the second contract. So I think to have a year where he doesn't have as many points as a second or third year is a benefit. Where well, yeah, look uh, look at the second contracts that. Adam Fox and Kale McCarr and some of these young guys that just broke right in and were awesome right away signed. That's best case scenario. I mean, yeah. if Kevin Korchinski is anywhere near McCarr or Fox. That's the best case scenario for sure. But you're signing these 19, 20 year olds to eight year, $9.5 million contracts. And that price only goes up with each year when the cap goes up. I know we got to start talking about cap percentage more than, than the actual number, uh, especially as it starts going up next year. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible that Korchinski is a, you know, monster contract 
in two or three years. Yeah. And and that's why this year, I, th- I think if he's in the NHL, like he's not. And, and there's a chance that I think he, he plays 10 games, plays 20 games, 30 games, um, depending still on goes how, to world juniors still goes to world juniors maybe even goes back to the whl and plays the playoffs out with them or something just um i think it's yeah i i don't i don't think there i, I think regardless i think he's gonna make the team out of camp unless he he really looks like he needs um needs more time which i you know what he did in the whl last year and he's done it for a couple of years now and he's played about almost 200 games in the whl the last two yeah. years based on playoffs like there's there's a lot of reps there i don't know like you said i don't know what the benefit of going back would be like he needs to be playing um yeah he needs to be playing in the nhl and playing that type so um the nice thing is that i mean the, with the blackhawks not looking to win that you can ease him in like you can um you know ease him in the roles and, and, and play him as much. And then, yeah, pull back if you need to, but I'd be shocked if he's not with the Blackhawks, you know, breaking camp. And then, um, and then it's probably up to his play, whether, you know, where he is by the end of the season or if he goes to world juniors, but they have those options. So um, you, you spent time at the NHL PA upper deck event. Um, did you get any baseball cards? I guess start off. with. I did not. There was a lot of talk about cards. I haven't really been a card collector since I was like 12. Yeah. I used to go to the Nassau Coliseum card show every year. I used to love that. I had like two monster boxes. You remember those monster boxes that could hold like thousands of cards? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had like two of them in my parents' basement on Long Island for just like decades. And then they moved uh, when they retired and moved to Jersey. Uh, I, I don't I don't think they took them with them. I don't know what's in there. Oh. I don't even know what the card market is like. I don't pay attention to this stuff, but there was well, probably well, some money like in there, man. Prize possessions. Um, oh, I had, you know, I had Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. I had... Yeah. Uh, I, I remember a, my favorite one I bought was a Howard Johnson rookie card because that okay. was just sentimental value because he was my favorite player. But uh, I had I, I mean, went through was... a Doc Gooden phase. So I like nice. having Doc Gooden cards were important, and, and Jody Davis was mine, but Jody Davis wasn't really worth the much. I, but... I think the Griffey Upper Deck one, if I remember right, that was like a a big one, and I, yeah, I know I had yeah. a couple of those that I I got the honest way, just opening up packs. Like I didn't yeah, yeah. purchase those. Like I, I I never went to a car other than the Howard Johnson one. I never went to a card show to buy a card. I just like looking at them and then, you know, but I, I earned my cards the hard way, opening up the uh, the packs. There used to be uh, where we lived on the northwest side of the city. There's a place called Stevens, like pharmacy, and it was walkable. I'd ride your bike there. And I remember like the 89, 90 around that time was like we were really big. And there was the uh, like the 89 Fleur car, car, the Billy Ripken fuck face. Yes, um, yes. So I, I remember going there and that was like the big card to get. And um, yeah, I uh, it wasn't like over the last year or so I was at my mom's house and I pull the cards out and yeah I, I don't know if they're worth anything everything has to be um you got to send them away now to get uh yeah the the like the quality the um you know like the grading on it and stuff like it's yeah it's, it's too all, much work it's it's, yeah. it's like a, it's like it's a real business now like yeah my my dad I, I i i i'm pretty sure this isn't apocryphal i remember i remember him telling me this story a long time ago that he had a mickey mantle rookie card like the mickey mantle rookie card when he was a kid and it ended up in the spokes of his bike <laughs> It's like a, it's like a God, Dad, come on! That's the kid's college right there. Did you collect hockey cards? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Not as not not as hardcore as I did baseball cards, but uh, I remember you know, I, I, I collect, cards. I had football cards. Yeah. I had basketball cards. I just I just liked I liked cards. I had like a three years there where it was really cool, like the late eighties, yeah. right around like eighty eight and eighty nine, ninety ninety one. Yeah, I think yeah. I think we're both or just the same everyone way. was into it, and we would just you know. That's what we did. We collected yeah. the cards. I remember like the Conseco Minkleyers around that point, or at eighty-seven yeah. or so. Yeah. Um. Anyways, what um you spent a day in D.C. and and you sat down with Connor Bedard and wrote a piece that you can check out on the Athletic. And I know you have some future pieces coming up, but um, I don't know. Did they get some one-on-one time with with Connor Bedard? What uh, What was that like? 
Yeah, it was good. It was worth going out there just for that, right? I mean, I you know, we haven't had that opportunity. I don't think I think I'm the first person in Chicago that actually had a chance to sit down and talk with the kid because everything's in a press conference or a scrum with him because he's just he's such a big deal. And, you know, we all know the circus is coming to town in training camp and early in the season, you're gonna have people from all over the country and Canada are gonna be there to talk about him. Everyone in Chicago is gonna be around him all the time. Uh that first road trip is Pittsburgh, Boston, Montreal, Toronto. That's gonna be a shit show where he's going to be, you're not going to get, you know, it was easy to get to talk one-on-one with Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taze over the years. It's going to be very difficult to get Connor Bedard early on in the season. So it was nice just to be able to sit down with him. Um, You know, he's, he's exactly what you expect him to be. He is so smooth and polished. He's a very nice, polite kid. And he is a kid. He's 18. He just turned 18. And, you know, he looks like it. He's an 18 year old kid, but uh, he's very polite, nice. And he just won't say anything. He wouldn't even tell me like who he's living with. Like which player he's like that's personal, yeah. um, you know everything was like I asked him about the I saw that he was like secreted into the back of the we were in the same hotel and I, and he was like snuck in the back like you know he's Taylor Swift or something while the other prospects were coming in the front door and he's like I don't like to talk about that it's fine it's normal whatever other guys deal with that he's so um, defensive isn't the word because he's not like a dick about it at all like there's nothing aggressive or angry about it but he's so guarded. Um, about not seeming special. He doesn't want to come across as a prima donna. He doesn't want to come across as different. He kept, you know, I, 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 you know, everyone on the team is equal, all that stuff. Um, he really, he really buys into that idea. And I think you have to, if you're him, right? Cause either you're going to be the most conceited cocky bastard in the world, or you're going to be what he's doing, which is kind of just keeping it all at bay and doing everything he can to make everything feel normal. And that was the vibe I got from him is like, he has to be this way. Otherwise, uh, his life is just going to be insane for an 18 year old. Um, you know, Taylor Swift is in her 30s. She could figure out how to handle this shit. You know, he's a kid. Yeah. And I think that's kind of his defense mechanism against the world is being as, you know, kind of boring as possible. I told, I told him in the middle of it, I'm like, you know, you're very frustrating to talk to. He goes, it's only in interviews, I promise. And then sure enough, I see him later and he's like talking to his other prospects and buddies. And he looks like a kid. He's having fun. He's laughing. He's smiling. He's clearly talking shit on them. Like he's just one of the guys. And I think it's really, really important to him that he be seen as just one of the guys. He doesn't want to elevate himself because he knows everyone else is already doing that for him. It'll be interesting too, as he, I mean, he's been interviewed by so many people at such a young age and, and probably there's probably not a whole lot of consistency with that unless you know it's a beat writer or something that he's you know with yeah. in whl just um yeah I'm, I'm sure there's a guard up there you know like i having been to prospect camp there's so many different questions that he gets about his personal life and different things and 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 he does have this answer about just being that's you know that's personal and, and good for him like there's there's boundaries that he wants to create and um i'm curious as he gets to know people or just the familiarity of whether opens yeah, up he'll, and, he'll loosen up a little yeah. bit that'll happen um, I, I told him, I'm like, you're gonna, I said, I'm like, I'm going to be one of the guys you're sick of seeing pretty, uh, pretty soon. So uh, hopefully we'll get a little more. Uh, but that was part of the reason for wanting to go there was just to like, hey, I'm one of these people that are going to be around a lot. And uh, hopefully we, you know, hopefully we develop that trust. And that's that's journalism, right, is taking the time to develop that trust where guys are willing to talk to you and guys are willing to open up to you because you they know you're not going to twist their words and you know you're going to present them fairly. And, you know, it's good for it, it's. The reporter player relationship, I think people have a really skewed view of it. Like they think it's combative. They think it's like, you know, we're trying to get them and they hate us. That's not how it should be. And it's usually not how it is. It's it's kind of symbiotic, right? Like 
we want to be able to tell great stories. And if you're an athlete and you have your own quote unquote brand, you want your stories told. It's good for everybody. And sometimes if you're a player, and this isn't going to happen to an 18 year old kid, but sometime down the road, I mean, look at all the stuff with Jonathan Taves over the years, you're going to have something you want to say. You're not happy about the way that the, the team is doing. You're going to want to lay the groundwork for potentially a future trade. Having a reporter you trust that you can confide in allows you to start doing that and allows you to control the narrative your own way a little bit. That doesn't mean that we're mouthpieces for them, not by any stretch. We're, we're very critical of everybody that we cover, but having some kind of trust built between player and reporter is beneficial to both sides. And uh, I, I don't think enough people think about that when they think about the media, you know, as this monolithic entity, like a good reporter uh, is someone who's honest and fair, but also, you know, not looking to fuck a player over. Like that's the, the number one thing a player looks for in, uh, in, in, a, in a reporter is, can I trust this guy not to screw me over? And, uh, and that's, that's, that takes, that takes years. Like Connor Bedard is going to take him time to find out who his people are. Um, and you know, it'll be the, the work that determines that. I, I also think it'll be easier when we start having hockey to talk about, like there's just been so much hyperbole and so many, like just yeah. the questions over and over again, how do you handle the pressure? And, and he won't even talk about normal, how are you because... an 18 year old normal kid, you know, like, yeah, he won't even, he won't even acknowledge that he's locked to make the team and be the number one center. He's like, right, Oh, right. I got to get through camp first. Like, just like when he was, uh, when the Hawks won the lottery, he wouldn't talk about, well, whoever takes me, you know, yeah, he's yeah. so careful about that stuff. So yeah, once we have actual games to talk about, I think things will get a lot more interesting. Yeah. Um, Kevin Krajinski was out there as well. Um, what uh, I know you're going to write about him, so you want to reveal everything. But what, what was well, we were it? just talking to. I mean, I, I talked to him about the stuff we were just talking about, right? About you know uh, uh, where 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 the best path forward for him is, and he seems open to anything. But yeah, I'm telling you, I'm I'm very high on Krajinski. I, I went out to Seattle last year, um, and 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 just just watching him practice for two hours, and it was two full hours he was on the ice. He was on the ice for like 45 minutes more than anybody else. Very few players I've seen that can skate like that. I don't spend much time in the prospect world like you guys do and, you know, Corey and Scott Wheeler do. Um, so I haven't seen Oliver Moore play in person and some of these guys. Korczynski is one of the best skaters I've ever seen, mm-hmm. like, live. Like, he yeah. is, he has elite NHL skating ability. And, um, you know, I, I he said that he spent most of last season working on um, you know, his defensive game, which is always the toughest thing. It was, remember when Adam Boquas came in, he spent so much time working on his defense that he forgot how to play offense. Um, you, you, you want that not to happen for Korczynski, but he has such a natural, easy ability to skate that he's going to be a valuable player. And, you know, no matter what he's going to, it, it's kind of like Duncan Keith, right? Like Duncan Keith wasn't really any kind of like offensive wizard and he didn't put up a ton of points, but he was just such a gifted skater that he could do anything out there. Yeah. He could stop you. He could get past you. He could just, he could just, when you have that, the, that kind of edge work and that kind of speed and that kind of, you know, acceleration and burst, uh, it just opens so many doors for you as a player. And I think Korczynski is going to be really fun to watch. One of the things that we, I, the fact that we haven't talked in a while, but the, we had our, our survey um, and when we talked about rookies and, and I, I think a lot of people are looking forward to Reichel and Korczynski Um there were a lot of answers I, I that were pretty, I guess, expected. Some, expected, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think one of the more surprising ones for me was was the Canaan's Taves stuff, right? I, 
And again, this is maybe just, you know, reading social media and you see people replying or in the comments, you know, that people are angry about this. But, um, yeah, a lot of people were fine with how the Blackhawks handled Kanan Taves' departure. They were fine, uh, you know, like they didn't want Kanan Taves to return like it. And I'm sure having Conor Bedard changes a lot of this, you know, the kind of their perspective on the future. But it, it, it was surprising to me, at least, that I thought more people would have been like, yeah, we wanted Kane back or Taves back. Or I, I wonder um, how much of that is like if we had asked that entering the season last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we might have actually, I have to go back and check our survey from 2022. Um, I feel like once it's been done and people have come to grips with it, it's easier to say, yeah, you know what? They did the right thing. Um, you know, obviously people were more upset with how Taves was handled than Kane because Kane kind of wanted out and Taves kind of didn't, uh, it was the vibe we all got there. And, 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 but not that they gave really any of them an option, but the Taves one was split pretty much right down the middle is. What, were you okay with how the Blackhawks handled the exit of Jonathan Taves? It was 52.7% yes, 47.3% no. So like, yeah. you know, like a presidential election right there. That's pretty close. Um, and should they have attempted to re-sign, it was 58% no on Taves, 65% no on Kane, which is interesting because there's no question that Patrick Kane's a better player than Jonathan Taves is right now at this stage of his career. But Taves kind of just had this, you know, presence about him. And I think... um. You know, I still think it's silly that he's not on this team when you have Connor Bedard. He'd be the perfect mentor for him in so many ways. Uh, Nick Felino is kind of taking on that role. And Nick Felino is, by all accounts, like the single greatest human that's ever lived. It's going to be fun to work with him. Like everybody talks about the guy in such glowing ways. And he's been the player who's been in Bedard's ear the most. Um, we could probably figure out what that means for, you know, living situation in the city. That's my assumption. But um, it, Taves just, he's, you know, Felino's never been a megastar. He's been a captain, but he's never been a star. Yeah. And Taves has been exactly where Bedard is. And I think that would have been a valuable uh, uh, a voice and presence for him. And then Taves, to his credit, both he and Kane reached out to Bedard, even though they're not even Blackhawks anymore. I thought that was pretty cool when that, uh, that, uh, to hear that from Bedard. But I think that some people, that's why I think, I think that's why the Taves one's a little closer than the Kane one. Uh, the Taves' presence in the early years of Bedard, I think a lot of people would have seen as valuable, but I was surprised that it wasn't more. I I thought that more people would have argued for his return. Basically, Um, people are just giving Kyle Davidson the benefit of the doubt here. Like he has earned the trust of the fan base. Like, you know, whatever he says goes and the fan base is on board. Like it's, would that be the case if they didn't win the draft lottery? Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? They won the draft lottery, right? doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting too. With uh, and and I guess you know with with Danny Wirtz taking over for Rocky and um, I, I sense that that the organization was behind Kyle Davidson taking this patient approach, and I think Bedard really allows them to 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 really see it through. You know, like there's no pressure to sell jerseys now or to do these you know marketing yeah. or draw tickets. That it, it just it changes. It just allows them to to be bad for a couple of years if they need to be or get those it really picks does buy them so much more time than yeah, they would it have just, otherwise. I think it changes everything. Um I, I guess the other I mean there were there were a lot of interesting questions and certainly the comments always kind of uh I guess get directed toward the logo questions. But I, I, I thought you know whether Stan Bowman or Joel Quinville should be reinstated the um, and the fact that the answers were different and, and some of it feels like just the popularity of the of the two was that's you know, ex- kinda, yeah like like that doesn't make any sense to me like if you think one should be back they both should be back if you think one shouldn't be back neither of them should be back people just like Joe I mean they just like Joel Quenville more than they like Stan Bowman's not a popular guy in the Blackhawks fan base yeah I think that's what it is 
Yeah. And I, and I guess at some level, I mean, Stan Bowman had more power than Joel Quinville. Um, but either way, he, were... do you think he did? As a, I mean, I mean, Stan, I, Stan's, technically, yeah, Stan's I mean, release from the John McDonough, right? Like it's yeah. But the day he got released, uh, you know, ousted from the gen- after the general block report, like Bowman's statement was like, I was just a first year GM. I didn't know what was going yeah. on, which, you know, was kind of horseshit. But like that was his thing. And Quenville, I mean, that was Quenville's team. And Quenville was the one, by all accounts, that was like the most agitated in that meeting, saying this couldn't interrupt with, you know, our 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 chance to win a Stanley Cup and all that. And I mean, I mean, personally, I think anyone in that room, including I think I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but Kevin Chevel Dayoff, who got away somehow scot free, any grown ass adult that was in that room and didn't do anything, didn't go to HR, didn't go to the cops, didn't go to the press, I'm done with all of them. I would want none of them to ever be in the league again. Like I got no time for any of this. But I know I'm a little more militant about this than some. And do I expect Joel Quenville to be reinstated? Yeah. Stan Bowman too? Yeah. Uh, it'll happen. Should it? Uh, it's a separate issue. I don't know yet. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm torn in some ways on that. Um, but if you think one should be back, then you should think all of them should be back and vice versa. It'll be interesting when it comes down to whether a team wants to hire them, right? Like, I, I think the NHL is not going to reinstate. I mean, I, from what I and heard, Joel Quenville is going to be a more Stan attractive Bowman job candidate than Bowman. Stan Bowman interviewed people this summer, so but he wasn't officially reinstated. So I, I guess if it's a point where teams like we want to ri- hire one of these guys, then the league will do it because I, I don't. The league probably doesn't want to be at the forefront of this conversation either. Where we've already reinstated someone without. Um, what I what I would like to see happen, the best case scenario in my eyes, is Joel Quenville's reinstated, and then no team wants to hire him because why would you put this person in charge of your young people? I, I don't think the NHL is going to do that. I just I don't think they're going to reinstate them. I, I don't think. Yeah, um, it's like the Bill Peters thing. Like, why would you hire Bill Peters to coach a junior team? Yeah. A junior team, uh, just, it's knowing what you know, hockey about doesn't it. give a you know like, I, mean, like, like oh, that's, I, I, I would like the market hockey right. Like it's just... we we always talk about how hockey you know regulates itself on the ice with fights and things like that, right? Well, I would like to see hockey regulate itself here, where if these guys are available, nobody hires them. Yeah, but it's just, it, 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 that it, it, would send people, a message. Yeah, it's people care like the, these things that not everyone cares about that. I mean, that's what it comes down to, you know, like it's, it's not at the forefront of these people's minds. Like John Van Breesburg wouldn't be in the role that he is with USA hockey. If it was the same. So, Oh, it's not going to happen that way. I just wish it would happen that way. I'm done wishing. I've kind of, yeah, I, I I guess I've become a, I'm I'm so cynical on this stuff. I know. It's Um, so bad. Bill Peters, man. How do you, how do you, on a junior team, a junior team. Good Uh, God. It'll be interesting when the any speaking of the NHL when it releases this hockey Canada report and the fact that it's we're coming up here on two weeks before camp and if it's released after camp like it's I know you want to get the truth right and you want to I'm sure there's a lot of litigation stuff involved in this but to re- have this released after I, I think after camp starts it's just it's unfair to everyone like it's just yeah it's um. Uh, you need to you've had a long time for this and yeah again you want it done correctly but i i think there are a lot of people assuming that this was going to be released before the season starts and you can figure out what are you going to do with players that are on the list and players are you know like their futures are you know um certainly if you're in, been involved with this I, mean, I expect those guys probably won't be playing hockey um for a long time so it, it yeah, I can tell you, I, I, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of hockey reporters every Friday around 4.45 p.m. <laughs> that are bracing for the news dump every week and are a little surprised that it hasn't come yet. Yeah, uh, we have uh, we put out for some questions. 
Um, I think we hit on a couple of the topics already, but okay. let's see what we got. Uh, uh, what would you define? Uh, this is Kyle Hamaker. What would you define as a successful season for the Hawks? Major prospect progress plus another high pick. That sums it up, right? Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, you, like, you want. I I think you just you want those guys to take strides this year, and um, and like ultimately, if this team's good, like then you know, like if you've done it correctly and you've played those guys, and this team wins, um, hey, great, yeah, like you can't control that at this point. Like last year, like they you don't want you don't want to be picking eighth or ninth next year. I think that's what it comes down to. Like if you want to be if you're competitive, great, but if you're if you're not gonna be competitive, you don't want to be middling to bad you want to be yeah. top five in red I, I, I think last year like you can control that a bit this year like if you're playing bedard on the top line and playing 20 minutes and and that yeah what, if, if, what if taylor hall is good again it's yeah. entirely possible no, for sure i and, and i even if i i, I still think if taylor hall's good the blackhawks aren't better than last year like you, you've taken so much from i mean you've taken domi and, and kane and and McCabe yeah, like you've taken so much, and the fact that Zaitsev's still on this team, like it's, you know, he's like the secret weapon. <laughs> uh, unless he has a really a bounce back season, like in and and you and you have Mrazek, who you know who was up and down last year, and certainly injury prone, and Soderblom kind of going through a first financial season. So, um, yeah, I, I I'd be shocked, but yeah, I, I think it's yeah, whatever you they are, they are, but the development part is so important, you know. Um, what are let's see, it's from Sem. Um, Sem, I am again. Uh, what are the forward lines? How much of the season does Kurczynski play? Uh, curveball, what do you make of Mitchkov repeatedly being scratched and the Philadelphia goalie, goalie staying in Russia? Yeah, uh, I don't. Aren't, understand aren't you glad the Blackhawks didn't draft Mitchkov that we don't have to figure out that story? Yeah, I don't. Uh, develop <laughs> that scene that playing for uh, Ska's uh, an adventure. Is, for the, the mo- is that the most political sports team in the world? Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know why he's not playing. I mean, it's odd. Um, forward lines, I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see who plays with Hall and, and Bedard. Um, maybe I, I, I doubt Reichel. Tyler gets Johnson it. makes the most sense to me. Yeah, uh, and probably putting Anath the CU and Reichel together again. Yep. Um, it'll be you, interesting you need, if Gottman's like healthy. You need like a pass first guy with Bedard and Hall. They're both oh, scorers. Yeah, for sure. yeah, and I think Tyler Johnson at this stage of his career can kind of just. He's so pliable. He can just go into any role, basically. And he's such a good guy. He's not, you know, this is a guy who played on the fourth line to go win a cup with, with Tampa after being a star. He will embrace any role. He gets to play with uh, with Bedard and Hall. He'll be like, hell yeah, I'll just feed them pucks all day long. I'll work yeah. in the corners. Like, I think that's the most logical choice. You don't want to have, like, a Taylor Radish or a uh, or even a Lucas Reichel. You don't want an, another goal scorer, potentially, on that line. You don't want... Reichel to develop separately and I, I'm curious know. what Reichel develops into because I'm not sure he's a pure goal scorer I feel like he's no more of a but you want him to be able to lead his own line right you don't want him to be a passenger so I yeah. think by keeping him apart from Bedard early on it's going to allow him to kind of take over a line on his own because you know he's probably going to play wing not center I know they, yeah. they were kind of back and forth but he's clearly emerging as a left wing yeah Um. and Luke Richardson he was very high on Athanasiu as a center and they worked well together, so that might—that's probably your number two center right there—is a panacea. Yeah. So you let Reichel kind of develop a little bit separately from Bedard. They can work together on the PP one, um, but you know you want him to be able to be assertive on his own line. And if you're on a line with two number one picks, you're not going to be able to dominate that line. Yeah, yeah I'm curious too. Like, it, it, I mean, Gutman looked pretty good last season, and, and yeah. if he comes back, and if you have Dickinson and um, 
you have a lot more centers in the mix that are probably a little bit more traditional centers and whether, you know, where those guys fit in and, you know, and sprinkling Felino over a bottom six line or maybe, you know, and then certainly guys like where... Felino and Dickinson, they can play wing. They can play center. They, they can yeah. kind of just go wherever you want them to go. Yeah. Kind of I, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm not sold on Anthos. You being a center completely. Like I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not either, but I see the appeal. Like, cause if you have a center with that kind of speed, yeah, it just opens up such a different style of game that you can play. Um, it just it, it just re- it requires so much attention from the defense that it just really opens things up for your wings. Yeah. Um, and it, it worked at a very small sample. And I think Richardson is going to he wants to see it work at a longer sample before he makes a decision on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I, I certainly could chuck and radish are two guys that could potentially be on the hockey Canada list. And um, so we'll um, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. And they, they've brought they, they're they've signed like when you look at who potentially and guys like Reese Johnson and Mackenzie Entwistle and um, yeah, there's an, I mean, the uh, Donato, they, they think can play a top six role. So maybe he, wow. Um, I completely forgot he was on the Blackhawks. <laughs> um, oh. So it's uh, yeah, there, there's a, there, I mean, there's probably four oh, Blackwell still around, right? Yeah. Blackwell. And you got all these guys. It's going to be interesting to see like guys like Reese Johnson and Entwistle who have been kind of like, really the only young guys going through this rebuild early on, like, do they still have a place on the team? Uh, Cause they've like paid their dues and you think that now there'll be their time, but are they, do they have a, enough of a ceiling that they can, you know, survive all these veterans that they're bringing in and they're going to keep adding people and all these prospects coming up. This is going to be a make or break NHL season in a lot of ways for some of those fringe guys. Uh, there's a question about Bedard playing with Reichel. Uh, does Drew Camesso start down in Rockford, and how long will it take for him to make his debut? That's from uh, Willie. Um, yeah, I, I I think he's really far away from the NHL. From um, yeah, and and certainly you know I guess transferring from college to NHL, to AHL, we'll see how it goes. But I think it just it's a consistency standpoint where he's he's looked brilliant at times at college. But if you look at the total package, and some of it was, it was injuries and, and illness, but um, I mean his save percentage wasn't crazy and um in college and and he certainly got some great opportunities with with usa hockey but i i think he's far away i think him and stauber um you know as good as stauber looked in the nhl last year i I think um it it was telling that they didn't even want him to play him down in stretch in rockford where i don't know if his confidence was lost or the team's confidence in him but i think both those guys can benefit from as many starts as possible and um in Rockford and, and, you know, probably Mrazic and Soderblom staying healthy in Chicago, just so those guys aren't having to be rushed uh, to the NHL. Cause I thought Soderblom was, was, was rushed last year and spent too much yeah. time in the NHL. Um, so and remember, I, I think at, the, him, at the end of his NHL stint, he, he had, he had, well, they, they also they let, they let him out to dry for like seven yeah, goals, and seven then, goals in his last game. And then he got back to Rockford and it wasn't good early on there either. Yeah, like, and then he, he got, he got lit up the first game and they got hurt in the second. And you yeah, got to so, be really careful with goalies. And like, it's one thing to have like a forward who's just a little over his head when a goalie is feeling it and he's, he's not ready for what he's being put through. Yeah. It, it could have long-term mental effects. It, it's harder to manage. I mean, Davidson's preached such a developmental patience you know just developmental patience with all the players the goalies it, it's i mean it's probably even more the case but it's harder to manage because you you don't have as many goalies you know so um i wouldn't be surprised if something happened to solar boom morassic they laid look at something on the wire or something just to, to yeah. bring someone that that they can put in the NHL to plug in there because i don't think they want to rush stauber and Camaso this year i think um i think they like their upside of both those guys but they also know those guys just need development and 
Um, you know, Camesso's got a huge ceiling too. I mean, he, he does have the potential. They draft him in the second round. I just, I think it's part of it's, you know, like you're Why do you more... hate Drew Camesso so much, Scott? What is your and, problem? Part, part of it's, it's, it's also, you only play so many games in college, right? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's that workload and it's a adjusting. big jump. So I think, you know, Stauber coming from college too, that it was an adjustment for him. So, um, yeah, I think the Blackhawks like their goaltending future, but it's just a better matter of kind of letting it play out. Um, we got one more from Willoughby. He asks, what's a realistic point total for Bedard? Uh, probably like 65, 70 points. Yeah. That's a lot for a rookie. Like, that's yeah, a that feels lot. Like a lot too. But I, I, the, the one benefit is for him is that he's going to get every single, like, yeah. huge He's the man here. Yeah. And I really, I, I, I think the Taylor Hall signing was, or, or acquisition was, like that was really crafty because mm-hmm. he fits so many, he checks so many boxes. He's going to be someone who can play with Bedard. He's someone who's been an, he's an MVP, a number one overall pick. He understands all that. He can work with Bedard um, and he's going to make Bedard better. I think that, you know, and, and for Hall's sake, you know, why would you want to go from Boston, the best regular season team of all time to this shit show? And it's like, he's going to get to just go nuts. He's going to get to show that at 31 years old, he can still be a star in this league. He could still get, he could get one more huge payday in two years if he and Connor Bedard gel. So I, I think that the two of them are going to be a pretty exciting combination to work uh, to work together. I think that, you know, that's as much as anything is what Bedard has going for him. He's got a real line mate. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and Taylor Hall has something to prove. I mean, it it wasn't what I, I think he or Boston expected. And um, yeah, there there is that proof. And um, yeah, it'll be, yeah, it'll be fascinating. And uh, motivation certainly helps. And um so, what see, season number 12 for us scott yeah not bad. this is season number 12 we both our first days were the, were exactly the same on uh january 19th i want to say 2013 when the lockout ended Crazy. um season 12 I, I and this is how many seasons with the athletic now for you uh since 15 16 is this the first time there's like real optimism yeah, no, I like, mean, they, I, like they, a couple they, of years they, ago when they made the Jones trade and they signed, you know, Flurry, people thought that maybe they could like when they got bounced from Nashville but... that season. I mean, that season they were they won games. They won fifty games that year. Yeah, yeah, I, but that just... was all Corey Crawford and the Kane line. Yeah, um... that was smoking mirrors. But yeah, I guess I guess I forget sometimes how long the Athletics been around. That that that, that year was you were. Well, we, were, we weren't credentialed the first season, and then later in the season they credentialed us, and we we covered. We went to St. Louis and covered the games against the Blues, and they lost in that first round, and then. Uh, the next season, yeah, we we traveled somewhat and covered the playoffs in Nashville. And um, well, my my five year anniversary is coming up this weekend with the Athletic, and I think this is the first time going to a season where, you know, yeah, we've the never fan base is like fan base is genuinely excited about something. So yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, certainly yeah, and I, I think we see it in people's interest in the in the story and, and certainly yeah. the podcast and. Um, yeah, we're, I, I think we're both uh, excited and both rested and ready to get going for an interesting season. And We're going to take the podcast a little more seriously this year, which I know we say every year, but we mean it this year. Yes, we mean it. Um, <laughs> and we're off to a good start. Today was, was good. We yeah, feel like we stayed on topic and yeah. We, we casted a pod. Yeah. That's, so that's you, you didn't get done. to a Pearl Jam concert? Uh, it, we're recording this Thursday. It, it is 1148 in the morning right now. Uh, there is a show in seven hours and 12 minutes. Uh, I don't have tickets yet because I don't have a babysitter yet. See, here's my problem. And it's not a problem. It's a great thing. This is one of the reasons that we started dating. My wife is a big Pearl Jam fan. So I can't just ditch her to go see a show with my buddies like all my friends are doing. Like we both got to go, but we've got a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old and we won't get home till 1 a.m. Really hard to find a babysitter who will stay till 1 a.m. on a weeknight. 
Um, and we have no family in the area. We have no support system really. So, uh, hoping for a miracle. Yeah. Uh, I think my wife has pretty much said, if you want, if I, if, if I, if I want to be a selfish asshole, I can go be a selfish <laughs> asshole and just go by myself. Really trying to avoid that. Yeah. But, uh, I landed from DC like a half hour before the show started on Tuesday. And at the last second, all of a sudden those $300 seats were available for like 40 bucks. So if I want to go tonight, I can go. Yeah. I'm just, I, I need a miracle to happen. It's right. killing me, man. It's killing we'll be me. We're praying for you. Uh, you should be. Yeah. Um, sounds good. We will be, uh, I don't know, maybe back at this next week or the following week. We'll be at the rookie tournament. Yeah, rookie camp starts on Wednesday. So Wednesday, and then they'll uh, I'll be out of Minnesota covering those two games. And as of now, it sounds like Bedard's going to play at least one of them. And they'll play St. Louis one day and Minnesota another. What maybe, do you think about that? You, maybe they should have played against Minnesota. That Bedard's pl- are you surprised Bedard's playing in those? I'm yeah, a little surprised. A little bit. I, I think it's... I think Kirby Doc was... is always in the back of everyone's minds. Well, I think it's beyond that. Like, I think there's been more injuries. And even last year, it was... Uh... I feel like someone got hurt last Col- year. Colton Doc got hurt in, oh, Doc in, in, in and, scrimmaging, uh, and and Lewinsky did. Uh, yeah, Lewinsky, yeah. Um, Concussions. Yeah, I like it's scary to put them out there in meaningless games. Now you, you look at the NFL and like you know Justin Fields just took like he took like eleven snaps all preseason. Like you just yeah. it gets so hairy now to put guys out there. I'm surprised yeah. that I think it's great and, and you know you wanted to play and I think it's good. I think Bedard game, also but... doesn't want to be treated differently. So like it's but it's yeah. at what point do you make that decision? Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious. Like certainly, if they get if he gets injured, then yeah, they, they can. It's really bad. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> the Blackhawks will be saying their own prayers. They just remember, everyone, guys. Scott Powers put that into the world, not me. <laughs> I, I think there are plenty, plenty of people questioning this already. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, but as of now, yeah, and it should be interesting. A lot of those guys will, you know, they they have a lot of those guys that are going to potentially make the NHL roster on that rookie yeah. team. So, um, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be. Do you fun miss Traverse City? I always like going to Traverse City. Yeah, no, for sure. It was uh, no offense to our friends in the state of hockey. Yeah, um, yeah, no, definitely. It was it was a cool format, you know. Like you, plus people always like walking around and oh god, like every GM in the league was there, and they were just like happy to talk to you. There's no PR people in the way of anybody. Yeah. It was great, except for the Blackhawks people. Usually weren't happy to talk to us though because they were afraid to talk to us. So they're never happy to talk to us. Let's be honest. <laughs> no, but it, it's, it's it's it's. I feel like it's gotten slightly better. But before yes. then, it was like oh, it's, I'd see Stan Bowman and. Yeah, he just they wouldn't be able to talk to him or something. So, um, it's um, yeah. So that we got that next week and the following week is training camp and, and here we go. And thank God, hockey training camps are shorter than baseball and football ones. Yeah, no, the preseason month games like season. Yeah, the games are a little bit more relevant this year too. So it's uh, yeah, all interesting. So we'll be back at it here next week or the following week and plenty of stuff to talk about with the rookie tournament and and whatnot. So, uh, for Mark Lazarus, I am Scott Powers, and this is Lazarus Powers. can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.